0: This is David Rovics and you are tuned to 3CR 855 AM in Melbourne Australia. Step 3 is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true that if all the people work collectively there just might be something we can do and everything can change.
1: Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organization. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions. Uh, Tonight's show, for tonight's show, I went to the ALP conference in Melbourne I had a media pass saying Vivian is a broadcaster with 3CR Please give her every courtesy It's a bit like having a seniors card I was rather uh, overawed though to see all the journalists that we see on TV You know, like Sabra Lane and Michelle Grattan, All these people that I've sort of seen for many years Pouncing on stories and going around in a very sort of greyhound-like sort of manner There were fringe events too which showed that the Labour Party wants to bring in civil society and I really appreciated those fringe events because they weren't all ALP people at all, they were just anyone who's interested in the issues of our time. Sessions on refugee activism, for example, Pacific Island advocates, and several sessions on climate action. And our first guest is Felicity Wade, whose group within the Labor Party is called Lean. They were all wearing lime green t-shirts, and they received accolades and great praise at the on the conference floor for their work. You know, going around door knocking and agitating to shift the Labor policy on climate change to something more like the Earth urgent action that we need. After Felicity we'll hear um Asrin Pugh, also from Lean, and then Claire O'Rourke from Solar Citizens. At about 5.30 we'll take you to the rally outside where you could feel the urgency for climate action even more. And lastly, for a bit of balance, we'll speak to Senator Larissa Waters from the Greens Party. So Felicity, welcome to the radio show. Hi, Vivian. Hi. When you went around the Labor Party branches with your people in the lime green shirts, did you? Um, would you like to tell us what people said, what just ordinary people said about the climate action they want to see?
2: Look, yeah, Lean, <clears throat> Lean which is the Labor Environment Action Network, has branches all over the country, and we got together about November last year. And between us, said, "Okay, we really need to go and test how the memberships feel about climate action." I think all of you are aware of how bruising it was politically in the end—the carbon pricing, yeah, um, uh, yes, <laughs> period—and yes. um, and how you know effectively Tony Abbott made that a political problem for us. So we thought, well, before we really start advocating, we should go and talk to the membership. And then that was how the, the plan was hatched, really, just to go out and talk in those drafty halls, which they are just to, exactly as you imagine, mm. mind free, you know, in little community centres and, um, and all sorts of, you know, little scout halls around the country. Um, people took out a presentation on the politics and the economics and the impacts of climate change, spoke to branches and asked them how they felt. And then, of course, then asked, would they support a motion? Would they pass a motion in support of Labor leading the nation on climate change, adopting renewable energy targets, fifty percent by twenty thirty, and also credible uh, pollution reduction targets? So that's sort of what we did. And of course, we we're kind of, as, as I said, we we're kind of nervous. We know it has cost the party dearly, but of course, the response was unequivocal. Mm. Um, before conference, three hundred sixty-five different local branches and other um, entities grassroots entities in the party endorsed our position
1: Mm -hmm. Well you may have have got the means to mobilise all the other groups in civil society there's you know I interview them every Monday there's hundreds of groups all on different issues all feeding into this main one but Mm -hmm. you mentioned the Murdoch Press or the Abbott government the sort of vicious attacks in the last Labour government and I think we're all aware that, that it's terrible the last one the carbon zombies was a terrible headline when Some people laughed at that, but I thought that's so vicious, really terrible. But I'd like to ask you about this renewable target 50% by 2030. It would bring us in line with, you know, countries like Denmark and Germany. We could hold our head up high, but the Australian newspaper is already calling it this Labour's loony turn. And people are asking, well, how will you achieve this fifty percent beyond zero? People know how you would achieve one hundred percent. You know, we're mm-hmm. gung ho, but how? What sort of is more detail in how you would achieve it? Look, I think that's um,
2: that's down to discussion. But um, I think what was very clear what's been very clear in sort of thinking about how we are going to achieve um, greater renewable penetration, in our electricity sector is It can't just be a rat, um, and that's partially because. Um, when the RET was designed, um, there was full expectations that we'd have increasing energy demand in Australia. But, of course, that has slipped backwards. Yeah. Um, where, you know, we've got decreasing demand, which has, you know, is a bunch of things. It's mm. manufacturing redu- reductions as well as people responding to the price hike. Mm. And efficiencies. Um, as well as, yeah, exactly. So people being more careful, putting solar on their roofs and so on and so forth. So what we really need to do, it's very clear what we also need to do, though, is get um, excess dirty old capacity out of the system. So look, I'm imagining that that will be part of what Labour, um, how Labor works to achieve the 50%. Um, and as you know, the CFMEU, Labor being a party of workers, mm-hmm. uh, were very, are very concerned about that. They're concerned about what that means for their guys who work in dirty dirty electricity generators. Mm-hmm. And so part of the, um, the what was adopted at conference on Saturday was that we'd not only deliver 50% renewables, but we'd ensure that those workers and communities that are going to be really negatively impacted Latrobe, Hunter, you know, there's really obvious ones around, mm. the, around the country. But we would make sure that those workers were transitioned properly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of a few jokes around the Labor Party about how many workers have been given a, a kind of a quick course in how to write a CV and, and dropped and called that transition. But I think there was a real mm. push from the CFMEU to make sure that it's a more adequate. Um, approach to making sure no one gets left behind
1: Well I'm glad you mentioned that because I did hear the, the motion, um, Tony Ma sort of saying the CFMEU did support the climate policy that was on the platform there but I I would like to know uh, it's kind of really urgent that a blueprint for the path forward is put out very widely in the community and so that people can start working it. I mean, it's, it's a real thing. It's The climate emergency will mean a redeployment of people. Lots of countries are finding it's actually beneficial to their economy to redeploy people in renewable kind of industries. Um, but what's the view for Australia? We don't seem to have much manufacturing. You know, who's got some more detailed ideas about that? Maybe you could just tell me who's working on it because...
2: Well, certainly there's a lot of work being done by, particularly by the Shadow Minister Mark Butler. Um, the party is relying too on the, um, the advice of Greg Combe, who, as you know, was the shadow, was the actual climate change minister, did a whole lot of work to build that architecture that we were starting to put into place and starting to deliver when last in government. But as you know, our greatest challenge is actually getting rid of Tony Abbott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not going to get it. I mean, it's great that Labor's adopted this, um, this target, but uh, it's important for everyone to remember, including, you know, the Greens advocates, that um, this it means nothing unless we can actually get in to implement it. Mm. So that's, I guess, the main challenge that Lean will be fo- focusing on now, is how we actually ensure that those nasty front pages that you've just discussed, that the um, vitriol from News Limited and from Tony Abbott, does not actually get a foothold in the community and undermine our chance of actually delivering the big picture.
1: Mm. Well, I think it was very good, the positive way you focused on renewable energy. That seems wonderful. It it brings everyone into a sort of glowing sort of mood. But... I think there are still a lot of people in the Labour Party and certainly in business who think that we can go on exporting coal and gas for 30 years. And it's those exports, you know, not just the domestic carbon emissions, but the emissions that we export to other countries. And I wonder if the ETS that was part of that platform is the right disincentive to going on exporting coal and gas.
2: Look, I think um, the, the party position at the moment is still is basically that we respect the UNFCCC process. That, um, And as you know, that is set up that the carbon emissions from different fuels are counted in the place where they're burned. Um, I know that's not acceptable to a whole bunch of um, people, uh, activists around the country. Mm-hmm. But um, as, as we've already identified as a party of... Um, of labour as a party of the workers, and you know, who, and there's a you know large dependency on those industries. I mm. think that there's a, I think I think it would be it would be fair to say that the Labour Party is not at the point where they're going to be standing in the way of coal exports. They're really expecting. Um, the international process to, to to deal with that. And as we know, look, it's already being dealt with by the market. You know, China's yes. demand is dropping in a way yes. that, you know, the coal industry were not expecting because they too are responding. So as each of the markets starts responding to climate change, um, you know, that will largely start to deal with it. I mean, I think that's a separate issue to what yes. the health and environmental yes. impacts the of actually mining. Yes. Yes. yes, and um, that's obviously something that Labor has to deal with. And I think that... Um, the commitment in the platform, which is very exciting, that there will be you know consideration of how to improve the environmental protection laws, is another important aspect of how we're going to make sure that as we um, as we assess these projects, that we actually properly assess all their impacts.
1: Yeah. Well, look in the spirit of that very positive conference, I'd like to run an idea past you. One of the Beyond Zero people uh, sent me an email, and he's working in China at the moment, and he said that Australia is an international village idiot um, on (laughs) renewables, you know, in the eyes of people in China who are moving ahead at a great speed. And to the Chinese people, our targets are pathetic, he said, you know, to pre- presume he's talking mm. to people there. Um, and they think even 100% renewables would be silly when we have such a huge solar capacity, and why not aim for 300% and export the energy to our region? Well, you're laughing, but it really could take off. If someone got behind it, it would be a major contribution to lowering emissions, which it's no joke. You know, it's no, not just leaving it to someone else to decide, oh, well, you don't have to count your emissions that you're exporting. It will be so great if a Australia could take a lead and say, well, we're going to contribute to the you know, Indonesian grid by our solar exports from the north part of Australia. Do you think that that idea would fly if Labor got into power?
2: Well, I think, I mean, I guess it's this is getting back to the challenge before all of us who really want to see the clean energy future. We have to make sure that it is... Politically palatable in Australia, you know. As I've said, you know, we actually have to get the Labor Party elected, and we have to we have to um, make it, you know, politically not worth Abbott's effort. I mean, Abbott still believes that he can, you know, undermine Labor's yeah, capacity to win yeah. government. So yeah, yeah. we we have a real task to, to build the political space for Labor mm. to be brave in this on this. All right. And you know, I think that you know, while Labor is while you know, it's a there's two bits I think to any great transformation, any great Structural adjustment, which is what we're looking at here. We're talking about you know, uh, you know, a whole energy revolution, as yes, you know. Yes, but it requires both political leadership, which is I think what um, Bill Shorten made the first steps of today on the weekend. You know, mm-hmm. it was very clear that he said, "No, I am going to stand by this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and hide this. I'm going to yeah. do this." It should and be a winner for him.
1: You know, it should be a win.
2: Well, it should be, but obviously the task for those of us who care deeply about this issue is to make sure that that leadership actually pays political dividends and that's the task of being out in the community and making sure that people understand the great advantages that this offers.
1: Okay, well, look, thank you very much, Felicity. We're going to go now to Azran Pugh, who is also from Lean. I spoke to him at the conference, but thank you very much for your good work and for speaking to us today. Thanks, Vivian. Thank you. That was Felicity Wade from Lean. And now we're going to hear from Azrin Pugh. A spokesperson for Lean spoke up. His name is Azrin Pugh welcome Asmund, would you just like to tell us what you told the conference?
3: Sure, Um, look we've moved a couple of motions today about um, making sure that Labor sets uh, specific scientifically based targets to reduce carbon pollution and um, we've been campaigning for a long time to make sure that there's a commitment from Labor that we have specific targets announced before the next federal election and we've just uh, moved that motion successfully on conference floor today, so that was really fantastic.
1: I'm I'm worried about the workers, so far it's always been Labor's the party of the workers and the work Workers in the coal industry and the power industry are worried that the transition won't be managed yeah. safely.
3: Yeah. So I suppose the unique place that Labor has in this debate and uh, and in Australian society is that we uh, have the power to bring together the environmental commitments that are needed to create a safe climate um, and to protect our environment more generally, while at the same time looking after those communities and those workers that are affected. Um, what we also passed today, and it was the motion was seconded by the. Secretary of the Mining Division of the CFMEU Tony Ma was to introduce a real real and genuine structural adjustment program for those communities affected um, um, by a renewable energy target and by climate change
1: Could you spell that out a bit more? What sort of more detail would that involve? Um, uh,
3: It wasn't uh, specific about what that will require but it does involve setting up a specific um, federal government body who will oversee the implementation of those kind of structural adjustment programs and obviously significant sort of costs involved in making sure that those workers and communities are supported um, as they transition to a um, clean energy economy.
1: Okay. Now there's a lot of people in this big hall listeners it's a huge hall like a stadium and they uh, have lime green jumpers on which yep. says labour for the environment lean labour and- And Felicity Wade is speaking to us on the radio tonight. Uh, I'd like you to tell us, Asrin, what did you do at the grassroots level that's now got all these accolades from the leaders of the Labor Party saying good on you to the lime green people up the back. Uh, Tell tell us what did you do.
3: Um, For the past nine months we've had um, grassroots members of the Labor Party out visiting local branches all across the country from Western Australia to Alice Springs to the north of Queensland to Tasmania um, visiting local branches of the Labor Party, passing a resolution calling for stronger action on climate change and renewable energy. Um, This is the first time that over a third of all branches of the Australian Labor Party have passed a motion uh, in the lead-up to conference, Um, and it's a really exciting time, and you would have felt that energy in that room just then about what it means when you organise around the environment in the Labor Party. A very exciting time.
1: Yes, I hadn't heard of Lean before. The only thing I really don't like is the kind of aspersions on the Greens and in the previous Gillard government the Greens were in the Hung Parliament really were, did a lot of heavy lifting there to get that clean energy package out um, what do you feel is the political status really when uh, the Labour Party still slings off at the Greens all the time?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, it, they're, they're separate political parties. We are separate political parties with a, you know, a different set of values and approaches to, the, to public policy. Um, in many cases, we should be working together. But as I sort of, as I said before, the Labour Party has a special role in um, in the political debate about. being being able to bring workers and communities together with environmental outcomes uh, in the interests of all and trying to break down um, um, those fights that we've seen so often between workers and um, environment.
1: That's true, we'll hear here to that. Thank you very much, that was Azrin Pugh from the new organisation called Lean. I'm at the ALP conference in Melbourne and Claire O'Rourke is with me. She's the National President of Solar Citizens, which is a very vibrant organisation. Most of you listeners probably either belong to it or you certainly will know of it. Claire, welcome to the show. Tell us um, why you're here today for the Solar Forum. Mm
4: -hmm. Thanks, Vivian. Well, we're an independent community-based organisation that has more than 70,000 supporters these days. And we're here at the ALP conference this week to raise awareness around the need for the um, hastened uptake of solar and renewable energy and also to push for the 50% renewable um, goal by 2030 that we've been campaigning on all year with the Stand Up for Solar campaign Really happy to see that the ALP has made a positive move in this direction this week. We're looking forward to, um, you know, ensuring that there's a really a reset. Um, debate around um, solar and renewables that really elevates um, the kind of gutter style debate that we've had over the last eighteen months with the attacks on the on the renewable energy target.
1: Well, I've got a solar sticker on my house, and my na- next door neighbour has one, and I gather that these solar citizens are sort of not really political at all. They're just. Interested in getting uh, a better deal, but having become members of Solar Citizens, they realise they are part of a, a sort of a political lobby group. Do you see yourselves as being able to put pressure on governments through the, this 1 million and 1.4 million roof top? solar owners?
4: Well, what we have in Australia now with the uptake of um, solar is that we've gone from about 14,000 solar systems only seven years ago to um, 1.4 million 1.4 million rooftop PV systems so it's an exponential increase and that's created this new constituency of people, folks out there who want to get the best out of their investment but when they come to us, either because they're concerned about their feed-in tariff or discriminatory fees or if they're getting a runaround from their power company, they'll they'll come to us and then quickly realise that this is part of a bigger picture and um, they really do get engaged with um, advocating for big picture solar and renewable energy policies, whether that be at a state level or at a federal level and um, I've been really amazed to see the kind of groundswell that's picked up around our call for that 50% renewable by 2030 target and and people have been um, out on the streets signing people up at community stalls, visiting their um, Labor MPs, um, hosting solar shindigs that we've had running all of this week. Um, people have really picked up this um, idea of getting engaged in their democracy and their community through, through solar and that's really amazing to see.
1: Well, what sort of people are they? Just give us some faces, put some faces to it.
4: Well the typical solar citizen is a solar owner but also we do have a a reasonable number of people who want to go solar that can't do that at the moment because they're renting or have um, you know buildings that are not quite um, suitable to to install. We've got workers and business um, owners as well but predominantly it's um, ordinary you know mums and dads or self-funded retirees and pensioners who have gone solar to really reduce that cost of living, we have um, most of our supporters are on um, uh, forty thousand uh, dollars a year or, or less. That's a good chunk of our supporters, so um, we're not a kind of bunch of latte latte sippers, as um, the Queensland Treasurer, former Queensland Treasurer Tim Nicholls, um, called called solar owners last year. So I think you'll find that the the makeup of solar citizens is very similar to the makeup of the country in terms of people, you know, either have solar and. and popular or they want they want to go solar we, we'd like to see solar on every rooftop yeah.
1: do you feel that this um enthusiasm for solar is partly because people are impatient with government policies for uh, large-scale renewable energy projects beyond zero emissions has been pushing this for so long we were very keen about a huge solar um, project at port augusta i mean ever since i've been with beyond zero emissions i've seen photos of this what it would be like and for me it's almost happened but it hasn't happened you Know, big solar is extremely expensive and uh, i've interviewed john grimes about the you know the small um, business people they're also lobbying behind it so you're lobbying with the solar citizens they're lobbying with the small solar businesses but it's all about solar pv what about those big solar projects is um when are we going to see those
4: Well, I think we'll see them sooner if we can ensure that we work hard, you know, as a community to advocate for um, solar renewables ahead of the next election. I think the next election is a really critical moment, which will decide the direction that we go um, on renewables, Um, you know. Large-scale solar is becoming cost competitive with wind and with, you know, the cost of building new coal-fired mm. power stations. So there's no reason why that can't happen um, as long as we've got some political will behind um, some sensible policy. Mm. And the good thing is, people out in the community see solar on rooftops. You know, almost you know one in five houses mm. will have solar on them these days. It just makes sense. Mm. So people see that, and I think they they get frustrated that a renewable energy future can't just be accelerated um, at this point in time because of the tax by the Abbott government um, you know I think we've got a really bright future for solar um, large scale as well as small scale and a lot of our supporters want to want to work hard for that um, large large scale big solar installations mm. as, as much as they want to see you know the maximized you know investment um, return for, for their for their small rooftop system
1: well you mentioned this sort of war on solar and a war on renewables really from the Abbott and I, I feel the media has played a big part in this rather a mischievous part. And you've got a journalistic background. I'd like to see, to know how we can sort of push it back against them. The, the media don't just report the sort of, oh, um, coal is good for humanity or wind turbines are awful. They just broadcast that and amplify that message rather than the other message, the you know, much more intelligent message that the whole world is going towards renewable energy and there's an energy revolution happening whether they like it or not. How can we get the media to you know, can grab that story?
4: I think people have voted with their feet, um solar and renewables is immensely popular through the Australian community um, you know people of all walks of life um, are polled and poll after poll tells us that yeah. um, people love solar and people love wind and people love renewable energy so I think it's going to take a while for the media to catch up um, but certainly I think our politicians have a big um, bit of catching up to do as well Also, in certain sections you know we've seen a really good move from the um, Labour Party this week um, you know the Greens position on renewables is clear, Um, you know the Palmer United Party has a strong position on renewables that they, you know, really developed as they um, got into Mm -hmm. Parliament but I really think that there's a bit of a disconnect when um, our politicians aren't reflecting what, what the community wants and that's what we've seen with the Abbott government. So, But I'm really confident that um, because of this move that's happened in the community and because there is this groundwell of, yes. groundswell of support that we'll be able to um, win the day eventually <laughs> for solar.
1: Well, I'm speaking to Claire O'Rourke at the Fringe Festival. This is at the ALP conference, listeners, and they've got this Fringe Festival. It's a bit like the sort of Writers' Festival with all these little uh, theatres full of people from civil society talking about the issue of our day and uh, Claire is with Solar Citizens. My last question is um, yesterday you were in a session and Tim Flannery spoke and he mentioned a farmer big beefy fellow in the audience of one of his talks for the Climate Council and the farmer said look he couldn't his, his farm had been affected by drought, he couldn't make it um, you know he couldn't prosper through the farming so he'd got a job in mining but of course that creates a complete tension because the mining the coal mining is creating the Climate changes that had started to destroy his farm. So there's the, this is an absolutely central tension in our society at the moment. And you were at that forum. What do you think we need to do to make the transition for jobs so that those mining jobs are not the only option? Um, I think, well,
4: we know that a renewable energy target or renewables goal, if you like, of 50% by 2030 will create at least 20,000 ongoing jobs. But that's you're, you're absolutely right, that's not the full answer. What really needs to happen is the way we use energy is changing. It's happening at a global level, it's happening in our nation and we need really well planned, orderly um, transitions that are targeted at areas such as the Hunter Valley, the Bowen Basin, the Latrobe Valley and you know, obviously over in Port Augusta where we can have all levels of government, environmental stakeholders, um, energy specialists and um, to look at a really positive, orderly plan that allows people to transition into those jobs. Um, I think people will Understand that there's a need to, to move the way the world is moving, yes. um, but you know it's understandable that people are really concerned about what, the, what those future jobs look yes. like, um, and so we actually need um, to push our policymakers yes. to to make sure that happens, and that's I think the work that we can do and and others to to help our policymakers get those plans going so they're not catching up. And... What
1: sort of Labour Party policies, you know, they're the Labour Party. They do represent a lot of unions. What policies would you like them to... I haven't met anyone who's got a blueprint for the future from the Labour Party yet, but I'd like to know what you think.
4: Well, I think because there's been a renewables goal um, that is going to be set at this yep. conference, um, that is actually the first step because it allows all the fear and um, crystal balling to be swept aside and now the work can be done to set down what a detailed um, transition plan might look like from the Labour side of the fence and then the challenge is then to ensure that that becomes a robust debate of the next election so that um, all parties actually have a clear understanding of what it's going to take to ensure that we you know not only grow jobs but also ensure those those workers have a have a good and fair um, go at transitioning into other industries that are you know provide satisfying um, you know jobs that allow people to sustain their lives.
1: Yes. Thank you very much. That was Claire O'Rourke from Solar Citizens. She's just about to address a solar forum at the ALP fringe event.
4: So there is a rally on that is started right now outside the Convention Centre here. Um, And what we are going to do now is, you know, I'm an organiser, so I'm going to say, go and join Solar Citizens and sign the stand-up for solar.org.au pledge. But now we are going to all stand up together and we're going to march down together to that rally and we are going to say thank you to the Labor Party for showing the leadership that is required to receive to get renewables happening.
5: Let's get out there and go. Fiona is the founder and convener of the Climate and Health Alliance and will give us a perspective on why achieving a safe climate is good for people and for the planet. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Thank you all for being here today. I'm here today on behalf of the nurses, doctors, social workers, psychologists and many other health professionals who make up the Climate and Health Alliance. The health sector groups in this alliance collectively represent over 300,000 health professionals working in hospitals and health services across the country. These health sector groups are part of the Climate and Health Alliance because they recognise that at its core climate change is a health issue. I am here on behalf of the nurses who have been forced to abandon their own homes during bushfires in order to go to work and care for people suffering burns and smoke inhalation. The nurses who have been forced to evacuate the sick and the frail when their hospital has been inundated by floodwaters. I am here to represent the social workers who fled the devastating Tasmanian bushfires and sheltered in the sea to escape the flames, then spent many months helping to repair fractured and broken communities. I'm here to represent the doctors in emergency departments who are facing a huge influx of patients during heat waves with people suffering um, heart attacks and strokes. I'm here to represent the health researchers who are worried about the dramatic surge in illnesses like dengue and Ross River fever now occurring beyond the tropical zones and affecting thousands of people each year. These doctors, nurses, social workers and psychologists and other health professionals want our politicians to act on climate change. They want all parties to commit to strong climate action that will see Australia do its fair share to cut emissions and stop global warming professionals know our health is fundamentally linked to a healthy environment and a stable climate. This means we need to use cleaner, healthier, safer, renewable energy sources, not coal or oil or gas. Because those energy sources cause ill health from air pollution and because those energy sources are driving climate change, which affects people's health. Health professionals also want a compassionate response to asylum seekers, recognising that climate change is making the circumstances worse that force people to flee their homes. Solar power and wind power are healthy energy choices. We need much more solar and wind power because this will bring us cleaner air. Cleaner air means less heart attacks and less asthma. This means healthier kids, less pressure on our hospitals and health services, and millions of dollars in savings for health sector budgets. The rest of the world is acting. Let's not get left behind. safer, healthier Australia. Next up, we'll hear from Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall is the State Secretary of the United Firefighters Union. His members are at the front line of extreme weather events every summer and he certainly has something to say about the climate challenge. Thanks, Peter.
6: Thank you very much. Thank you and us to speak at this important rally. We started this campaign off many years ago by saying there is no sceptic, no climate sceptic at the end of a fire hose. And that still stands. It is very, very real for our members what we're seeing the effects of climate change. And it needs to be rectified. Otherwise, we are selling our future generations of our community and our young people. What we have seen, what we have seen in recent climate change reports is that the number of hot, extreme hot days has doubled since 1960. The protracted nature of fires. they are actually longer campaigns. They're more devastating. The side effects of the heat waves. We're seeing more people die from the result of climate change, extreme heat days, than any other type of natural disaster. On top of that... Fire services are now not just fighting fires, they've had to remodel themselves, they've actually had to deal with floods, they've had to deal with storm damage, and this is happening more and more frequently. Estimations are simply this, if we do not have intervention at a political level, if we do not have intervention by government, you will see the requirement for 36% increase of firefighters by 2020. Good for our membership but not good for the community. Firefighters send a very clear message. We want clean energy, we want to rid to the pollution, we don't want to be deployed to long protracted incidents that see death and devastation like we've not seen before. We want the decision makers, the political parties, to embrace this. It's not a passing fad, it's reality. And if it's not fixed, our future will be sold out. Can I say, finally, on behalf of firefighters, they work very, very hard, very hard, and it's an extremely dangerous job, but the call upon them to actually forego quality and quantity of life is happening more frequently, and it's because of climate change, Embrace in the changes that are needed. Political parties... Please listen to your firefighters, listen to this rally. We need clean energy, we need to re- enter the pollution. Thank you very much.
5: Next we're going to hear from John Grimes, the Chief Executive of the Australian Solar Council, to bring us an industry, a perspective from that industry. Thanks, John.
7: Ladies and gentlemen, the solar industry called on all political parties... To embrace a 50% target by 2030. And what do you think Tony Abbott did? He broke his election promise for a million solar roads. He campaigned from the first day he was in, at Prime Minister to abolish the renewable energy target. He ripped the guts out of our research and development industry. The body, $750 million of funding gone. He's destroyed Australia's renewable energy future. He he attacked the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. He wants to get rid of the Green Bank making renewables a reality in Australia. Make no doubt about where Tony Abbott stands. But you see, my friends, All of us, the people of Australia, have seen into Tony Abbott's soul and we know it's covered in coal dust. What did the Labor Party do? Well Bill Shorten stood up yesterday and he committed Labor to a 50% renewable energy target by 2030. It means that Labor will be the party that is campaigning for jobs the clean energy jobs of the future. It's Labor that will be campaigning for stronger rural and regional Australia. It's Labor that will be campaigning for big utility renewable projects around this country. It's Labor that will be campaigning for lower electricity bills. It's it's Labor that will be campaigning for greater choice and freedom as a customer. You see, we're on the crest of an unstoppable wave, a transformation to a renewable energy future. So while the vested interests that that support the Prime Minister, the big power companies, the big mining companies, have got resources that can run rigs around our small organisations, we've got a secret weapon, ladies and gentlemen, and it's called you, the Australian people.
0: Delegates to this conference, just like people out there in the community, understand that the challenge of dealing with climate change is the ultimate intergenerational issue. They understand that we need to have a vision for the future, not a pining for the past. Yeah. They understand that a government led by a man who says that he objects to solar and wind but doesn't mind a coal mine anywhere, even on prime agricultural land, is a Prime Minister who is not worthy of support of the Australian people. Delegates in there understand, just as I do, that when uh, I'm not going to these conferences and I'm sitting on the porch uh, with my now 14-year-old son's children, I want to be able to say that I did everything I could to deal with climate change. Woo! It is it is an intergenerational issue because what we do today impacts on what occurs tomorrow. That's why the lecturing from first world countries such as Australia, who've created the problems by having the highest per capita emissions in the world, to developing nations where we're not prepared to take action ourselves is simply not good enough. It's why we need a comprehensive whole-of-government strategy. It's why Mark has the climate change portfolio, but in reality all of us have the climate change portfolio. It's why we need to invest in urban public transport, not just in roads. It's why we need proper emission standards on cars. It's why we need to deal with the nature of our cities and making sure that jobs are closer to where people live and that we have 20-minute cities whereby everyone can have access to work and recreational activity within 20 minutes by public transport, cycling or by walking through active transport. So all of us have a responsibility. But the bloke I'm about to introduce has a bigger responsibility than most. And the fact that he was elected the ALP National President by the rank and file of the Labor Party says to me and to all the delegates and to the party to which I belong that we value environment being front and
8: centre. Friends, Mark Butler. I can tell you, this afternoon, the Labor Party will be adopting a platform that does a few things. The first thing we do, we will adopt a policy of an emissions trading scheme that has a legal cap on carbon pollution, reducing over time in accordance with our international commitment. Not a policy that simply hands billions of your dollars over to big polluters for them to continue what they've been doing for years and years and years. We will, as Anthony foreshadowed, adopt a policy of vehicle emission standards. Right now we have a position where global car companies sell versions of their global brands in Australia that are dirtier than the versions sold in America, Canada and Europe because we don't have those standards. Well, Labor will introduce those standards to clean up our transport system. But the centrepiece of the policy that we'll be adopting this afternoon, friends, is 50% renewable energy by 2030, in complete contrast to the scare campaign that some companies, some media identities and the Prime Minister continue to perpetuate. Well, I'll tell you this. We are more than happy to have a debate from today right up until the next election about what sort of energy system Australians want, what sort of approach Australians want to climate change as momentum builds led by the United States and China towards the Paris Conference in December. The Labor Party has taken every significant environmental protection decision in this country's national history. As Anthony said, back to stopping Joe drilling for oil on the Great Barrier Reef, stopping the damning of the Franklin protecting Kakadu, protecting the tree, a real plan for the Murray-Darling Basin, Tasmanian forests, our ocean reserves. And I tell you this, for the 21st century, this is the front line, and Labor will be on the front line with you.
1: Thank you for coming out this morning. Welcome back to the studio, listeners. That was the ALP conference rally and great hopes have been raised by the Labour Party's climate policy. But there were several throwaway lines at the conference that I heard about the Greens, which made me feel that they need to be heard from as well to balance out because they had a big stake in the Gillard government, you know, the hung parliament, they put a lot into that and they can't be just sidelined. And I have on the line Senator Larissa Waters. Welcome Larissa. Hello Vivian, how are you going? I'm going well, thank you. Look, um, what is your response to this ALP platform on climate action? Hmm, well look,
9: mixed. We're pleased that they agree that the next election will be fought on climate policy. It's perfectly clear that that's what the planet needs, never mind politics. So that's a step in the right direction. It, it's a bit of a bittersweet, though, position, Vivian, because um, unfortunately this uh, the Labor Party just voted with the Abbott government to slash... The renewable energy target that mm. we actually have in law. So whilst I welcome the fact that they now have a policy to bring it back, I, I'm concerned at the inconsistency there. If they if they wanted a higher renewable energy target, why did they just vote? with the mm. climate denying government to, to cut the rat that we had. So I'm, I'm, I'm if this is a genuine change of heart I'm thrilled it's, it's what we need. The Greens think it doesn't go far enough because the benchmark for good climate policy shouldn't just be whether you're better than Tony Abbott because you know, mm. Drongo's dog could be better than Tony Abbott on climate policy the the benchmark needs to be the science and we know and I'm sure many of your listeners know and the good work at, at BZD proves this at, at every time that we've got to much higher than even the target that the Labor Party have announced, certainly infinitely higher than the um, the proposals that the government has currently got, and they haven't even
1: announced any targets as Mm. you know. So, long answer, good step in the right direction, long way to go. Yes, and you're wondering if they can deliver. Well, we're going backwards at the moment, as you said, and yet the G7, the top, economies of the world, they want to see 100% renewables mm. by the end of the century, and I mm. think targets in the mid middle of the century around 70%. Mm. And I'd like to know what pressure can we, you know, the Australian public, what pressure can we put on the Prime Minister to take proposals to the Paris conference this year that mean that we're doing our fair share?
9: Oh, look, that's a million-dollar question, Vivian, and it's an excellent one. I hope, I, I live in hope that the government could change their perspective if enough people told them to. That's meant to be how our democracy works. Our um, representatives, our MPs, are meant to be there to reflect the will of the people. But at every turn, it seems this government wants to side with the fossil fuel companies, and the, the big coal mining companies, uh, ignore the scientists or you know, discontinue their funding and ignore what I think is the really gr- growing... Clamour by the public for climate action. I, I don't know if we're going to get decent climate action under this government. I, I fear that it might have to be that Tony Abbott needs to go, whether it's being changed as leader by his own party, or whether it's at an election. Mm. I fear we're gonna have to see the back of him before we get genuine climate action. And I say I fear, not because I don't wanna see him go, I do, but I hope that's gonna be fast enough. We're losing time, we're getting further and further behind the rest of the world. We're already an international laughing stock. When it comes to the Paris conference that's coming up in December, uh, many of those countries in the in the pre conference process get to ask questions of other nations. The questions that other nations are asking of Australia are really showing up. That we are utterly out of step with mm. the ambitions of other countries, mm. and I don't know what this is going to take the prime minister. What's going to change the prime
1: minister's mm. mind? Well, the ETS and the RET are parts of that Labour Party policy, and I think we're all a bit tired of all the haggling over these for ages. You mm. get sick of it, I'm sure you do too, in Parliament. But Oxfam has recently said we can't assume that coal will be just edged out by these mechanisms alone. And I'd like to know what do the Greens mm. want. To do to edge out coal mm. well
9: look i agree with oxfam in that regard yes we need a price on pollution and a decent one yes we need some strong targets for greenhouse gas emissions that are based on science not based on politics and that's why we've announced um even a, a target even higher than what the climate change authority has suggested and the reason our target is higher is because we want a greater chance of avoiding more than 2 degree temperature rise and they were, they were happy with the 50-50 chance. We, we want 75% at least. Um, we need those strong pollution reduction targets. We need a strong renewable energy target and of course we've announced that we want 90% by renewable, of renewables by 2030 mm-hmm. at the very latest and, and 100% ASAP. Mm-hmm. But you're correct, we've got to get some of that dirty energy out of the system. At the moment we've got too much energy in the system and now is the perfect opportunity to be retiring some of those huge um, coal fire power stations that just pump out the pollution. Mm. With excess energy in the system, that is the, that is the, what you should do. Instead, we saw the government cut the red and effectively prop up those old, mm. dirty energy producers instead of taking the opportunity to start that transition process.
1: Well, the, uh, another aspect of this is exported coal. It's never counted as one of our emissions, but most mm. uh, you know, progressive people do understand that mm. it sort of should. And I tried three times to get Mark Butler, last Monday I interviewed him, I tried three times to get him to agree that fossil fuel subsidies, at least fossil fuel subsidies, mm. must be phased out, and I couldn't get an answer. So what policy would keep most of the coal under the ground, as Professor w- Will Stefan urges us to do?
9: Look, you are perfectly right to ask about the subsidies that we give to fossil fuels and to ask about the plan by both big parties to continue to not just continue our coal exports, but expand them. You can't have a decent climate policy that accurately reflects the science and the urgency of what we need to do. If you have a plan to continue to open up Queensland's Galilee Basin, for example, Mm. which both Labor and the Liberal Party want to do. It's cognitive dissonance. So we can't have any new coal exports. We don't need them. The world doesn't want them. They're transitioning to renewables much faster than we are here in Australia because they understand the science and they can see the great economic opportunities for making that transition. So no new coal, no coal seam gas. And on fossil fuel subsidies, well, we need to abolish them. We've got about $10 billion um, at the minute over the Fords, which goes to subsidising the petrol used by predominantly the big mining companies. So they get cheaper petrol than the rest of us do um, to dig up a fossil fuel and make the world's climate worse. There's just no good sense in that. So we, we support getting rid of all of those fossil fuel subsidies and keeping our clean energy agencies strong and well-funded.
1: Yes, I, I think the media have a, a role to play here. I think they're very mischievous with that word subsidy. They always talk about the RET as subsidising renewable energy and you get mm. you know, this impression that this, this is child that's being you know, over-endowed with government gifts. But mm. um, meanwhile, they're, know, they're very basis. quiet on the subsidies to coal and the um, diesel uh, fuel extra, uh, whatever it is, you know every year I think that's it's right. billions isn't it? it goes to them?
9: It is, it is, it's ten it's ten billion over the Ford estimates, which mm. is you know the three to four budget year cycle that, that's a lot of money, ten billion dollars. of blessing. course we lost we lost the mining tax, which if we had a patched up the holes oh, yeah. in it, could have been um, about $18 uh, billion in revenue as well. Yeah. And the, likewise, the, the carbon price is more than $10 billion in potential revenue raising. The amount of money that taxpayers, thanks to this government's decision, are pouring into the pockets of the big coal is just outrageous. And, yeah. the, and as you say, they have the cheek to then say that setting a target for renewables is somehow a subsidy? Well, firstly, it's not. And secondly, you're ignoring the tens of billions of dollars of subsidies that gets put from the taxpayer's pocket into the polluter's pocket.
1: I think we ignore it because the media don't play it up. They were very happy to have, you know, carbon zombies headline. you know, really Mm. terrible, all this imaging. And I heard at the Labour Party conference a lot of people, they're sort of girding their loins against the attack Mm. that they know that they will face and all this... It's just vicious that it's very well financed. I... Well, it is. They're very, are very influential and very powerful mm. fossil fuel lobby
9: in this nation. Mm. And of course, the media is um, owned by a very few handful of individuals
1: who tend to support the conservative side of politics. Mm. And, still don't understand the science Mm, but you couldn't you could make a lot of jokes about uh, fossil fuel subsidies really could you you could Mm. you could highlight that but they don't and i hope the tide changes at the media level as well look Mm. um we haven't got that much time larissa it's lovely to you for you to speak to us but i had one other question i saw Mm. a quote from the president of Kiribati called anote tong Mm. and he's a very forward-thinking man i've heard his pronouncements before and he turns up all those international conferences that must be his, with his heart in his boots because the mm. country is, you know, being overwhelmed by salt mm. water. But mm. he said, look, climate, uh, climate change is a test for humanity. It's not such a difficult test. Mm. And I'd like to know how you think we can shape up to this test.
9: Oh, I think we absolutely can choose to shape up to this test. I think it is a test of humanity. It's a test of our desire to create a positive world for not just future generations, but current generations, such as the people of Kiribati and, and around the world. We know the world's poor will be hit the hardest by climate, and particularly in those low-lying nations they have got nowhere else to go. And how on earth are they going to grow food when the salt is incurring yes. onto their land? Um, we have the ability... This is a huge challenge, and I don't, want to, I don't want to talk that down, but we have the ability to face this challenge. We've got the renewable technology. We've got the smarts. Um, We've got the community will. We know what's at stake. We can't bear any more extreme weather events. And to think that they might get more frequent and more intense, Mm -hmm. it's just heartbreaking that we're we're sleepwalking into that future when we have such a clear alternative pathway that we'll still have challenges because we know that there's a lot of climate change locked into the system already. But we still have time to stop the worst of it if we just stop preferencing the needs and the profits of multinational fossil fuel companies Mm. who've hijacked our democracy, and if we just get back to investing in the kind of world that we want to create that is job-rich, that's powered by clean energy, um, that safeguards places like the Great Barrier Reef, which are so sensitive to Mm. any more Mm. um, heating or acidification. The pathway is really clear and the rest of the world's moving along that line and Australia so far under this current government has been bucking that trend. But I don't lose heart because I do think that transition is inevitable and I do think I have enough confidence in humanity that we have the will and the heart to tackle this challenge it's just going to require quite a few changes at the political level. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, look, thank you very much, Larissa, um, for for contributing to that. And keep keep the Greens, you know, out there in the media and out there in the public eye because I I didn't like that sort of thing of the ALP sort of just putting you to the sidelines as if you were – irrelevant it's not true mm. so thank you very well, thank much thank you vivian <laughs> it's my absolute pleasure we'll get there in the end yes thank you very much take was, care thank bye. You, bye that was serena senator larissa waters and now we're nearly at the end of our show i'm going to have to rush through the outro and the thanks first thank you to michael who's panelled here at short notice because jane couldn't come her dog ate a block of chocolate and had to go to the vet. And if you want to know how her dog is doing, you might like to email us at radio team at beyond zero. No, B, no sorry, radio team at bze.org.au. You can send feedback as well about that, but Jane's dog might perhaps catch your attention. I never heard that dogs didn't like chocolate, but apparently it's very, very dangerous for them. Um, so, our guests tonight were Felicity Wade from Lean and Azrin Pugh, also from Lean. They were both at the uh, ALP conference. Claire O'Rourke from Solar Citizens and Senator Larissa Waters. Uh, <clears throat> if you want to do some action, listeners, I always like to give you something to do. Uh, it's never good to just sit at home and think there's nothing we can do. Uh, uh, you can join Solar Citizens if you want solar power on your roof or if you have solar power already, you can become part of that political lobby group. It's, takes all comers who just like solar on their roof. You might like to join LEAN if you're a Labor Party branch member and you want to keep the ALP up to their bold promises. You could look at the Greens website for lots of community action and you can get involved with them. Also, Friends of the Earth have a website and they've sent me a recent uh, message that they're taking submissions. They want submissions to something called the Victorian Climate Change Act, which is being debated right now and you have till the end of the month to get involved in that. So go to Friends of the Earth website. That's all, Michael. I think we're ready for Save Albert Park. And thank you very much for listening, listeners. We'll be here again next week at 5pm. And I'll have another show for you from other aspects of the um, ALP conference, which was all about solar. Thank you very much for listening. Good night.